Let's open up in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are anxious and in a good way to hear from you today, Lord. I pray, God, that you would meet us where we are right now, um, where we are mentally, physically, and especially where we are spiritually with you, Lord. We want to be brought up higher, God. We want to be, we want to know you more. We want to understand you more. And we know that you instruct us that we do this through your word. So please open up your word to us today. Let us just put all the things that are on our mind other than that aside and just feed us, Lord, um, the meat of your word, the sincere milk of your word. And let it just uh, grow in us, Lord, and enable us to be um, to take action for you, Lord, but more importantly, to be filled up more with the love of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so who wants to give an overview of the first part of Acts chapter 11? Does anybody remember what the whole context is of that? Acts chapter 11. And when I say the first part, I mean up to about verse 18. Um, <clears throat> who's, who's the one that's uh, the main character in that section? Peter? Somebody say Peter? Yes, very good. <clears throat> why is Peter so... Ex- why is Peter um, so excited at this point? Or... or I guess excited, bewildered, um, amazed. What's going on here? Well, he, had, he had been at Cornelius' house, right? Yes. He had had this vision that the Lord helped told him, eat this and do all unclean stuff. And he realized that was the Lord telling him, I'm opening this mm. to the Gentiles. And now it has to be with the disciples and the, all the Jewish communities. Mm-hmm. To say, this is what the Lord is doing to the Gentiles. Yeah, very good. So if you look in the beginning of chapter 11, it says the apostles and the brethren throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. And I I assume they called for Peter. So he goes to Jerusalem and uh, those who were circumcised took issue with him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Were they right in having this concern? Did did they say that in the law that you couldn't eat with Gentiles? Yeah. So I guess in the sense of if they're following following that law, they could be right. Yeah. It's not necessarily a a right or wrong here, although objectively we we could say right or wrong. But yes, you couldn't blame them for having this zeal um, for, f- to want to do the things of God, mm-hmm. because not only was this what they were taught in the, in the, in the law. Okay. And when I say law, I don't mean 10 commandments. Mm-hmm. I mean the Torah. Okay. Or Torah, however you want to say it, the whole entire law. Okay. That is what identified people as being Jewish, but more importantly, by being the people of God. If you follow the law, you were then, 
That's why if you see in the Old Testament, they'll say, this man was righteous and devout and he followed the Lord and he was blameless. That doesn't mean he wasn't a sinner. It just means that he was following the law unto his heart to to please God. And that's where the Jewish people ultimately end up evolving into this group of people that becomes over-identified to the point of pride. And so then they started commentating on the law and making all these other things up. And they, by doing that, they, they actually negated the law. <clears throat> okay, so. They have, like I read, so they have hundreds of little rules that they have made. Yeah. So they could fulfill the law. But, yes. Uh, but, so, I mean, but you cannot blame them in the sense that that's how they lived. Mm-hmm. That this is how it was done. I mean, we can see it in our own lives. Right. We always have Christmas dinner. Yeah. How dare you not have it this year? Like, right. The Lord is going to be mad at that. Or what? I mean, I'm yeah, not yeah. That up, but I'm just saying that something can become so important that you think that is the godly thing to do. Mm-hmm. And in this case, well, it was because God gave them the law. So yeah. it was very hard to change. Does anybody know what the uh, additional commentary on the Jewish law was, was? What that was called? What book? What were those books called? Jerry? No, um, no, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. But what they did is over the years, they developed um, the, something called the Mishnah and the Talmud. And these were, this is when Jesus says, your traditions are causing you to stumble. And they would say, oh, well, you know, um, I'm supposed to be taking care of my mother and father, of co- according to the to the Mishnah, you know, you're supposed to be laying up money for them. But instead of doing that, they would say, oh, I want to spend the money on myself. So what they would do is they would take the money and they would say, you know what? Um, I'm going to go buy myself a new car to glorify God more, you know? So instead of giving the money to my parents, like I'm supposed to in the law, you know, the Mishnah and the Talmud says that I can do X, Y, and Z with that money. And therefore it then negates the actual heart of the law. And so these people, when I say these people, I mean the Jews in general were like that. But then Christ comes along and they get converted. But now they have all this baggage. They have all this stuff that they have to not necessarily unlearn, but they have to put it into place, into its proper place in the whole of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Now, what was Scripture back then? When we read in the New Testament, searching like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, they were searching the scriptures to see if these things were so. What were they searching? The what? Yeah, the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. The Torah, okay? They were the Torah, so we have the law, the Torah, five books books of Moses. We have the, the what? Uh, The prophets the major prophets, the minor prophets, the Psalms, the Proverbs, okay? And you have all the other poetical books. So those were the scriptures back then that they lived by. So the Bereans who were Jewish, they were searching the scriptures to see if these things were so. And yes, they were in fact so. So what happened was, was Peter, hey guys, Peter said, you know, Peter in Acts chapter 10 is trying to be a a, a committed Jew. 
and he's hanging out on the roof and God speaks to him through a vision three times and says, kill and eat. And Peter says, I'll never eat anything unclean. Lord, no way, God. You know, we, we, Peter's always saying, not me, Lord. I'll never do that to you, right? And I could just imagine God yawning. Okay, Peter, listen. Um, no, I shouldn't say that. That's too much of a caricature. But God doesn't yawn, I don't think. So he would get tired if that were the case. So um, at the same time, all right, this, of course, the Gentiles are about to get the word of God for the first time officially. And what better person to go to than an Italian, right? So he goes to Cornelius from the Italian cohort, a Roman officer, and he speaks to Cornelius as well and says, go call for this man named Simon Peter. From, he's staying at, a, at, a, at a, a, a tanner's house named Simon. Go to him and he will show you the way to the cross. Well, he will, he will preach to you a message that you must, must hear, the gospel. Now, why did God do that? Why, did he, why didn't he just say, Cornelius, look, <clears throat> the angel of the Lord says to him, all of your prayers and uh, the, your alms have come up to the Lord as an offering, as a memorial. And um, God just wants you to know that you need to believe on Jesus and you need to repent from your sins and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and Jesus is the Messiah, and follow him. Why didn't God just do that? See, I, it's, it's funny because we have to be really careful when it comes to how God communicates the gospel to us. How does he do it? The normative in scripture. What is it? He uses people, he uses people to do what? What do people do? They'll write, okay, they'll write, they could write it down, they communicate it. But what does it say in Romans 10 about the word of God being preached? You have to preach it for those who need to hear it. Yes, they need to hear it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the visions that God will show up and show you? No. Hearing by the word of God. Now, I'm not saying there's not visions and those types of things in the scriptures. But the normative in scripture in the New Testament is the gospel must be verbally communicated. It must be preached. So God bypasses the vision to communicate to Cornelius and says, I'm going to send you my servant, Peter. And we discussed last week that. Cornelius was, do anybody remember where he was? What city? Joppa. No, well, Peter was in Joppa, but Cornelius was in, hey, Cor- Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi. That's right. See, it's hard to get that map out of your mind now. It's embroidered in your brain forever. Yeah, she's, you didn't see my map, Claudia? Oh, yeah, well, yes. There it is. Isn't it beautiful? Is it it drawn to scale? It is. (laughs) It better be. Rebecca's here because she'll call me out on it later. She'll be like, Pastor Pat, you had the... I think it was a centimeter. Yeah. So Caesarea, 
was where Cornelius was. And who else was hanging out in Caesarea? Does anybody remember? One of the... Philip, right? So he went there and he camped out. But he didn't, God didn't go to Philip. He brought Peter up from Joppa. Yeah. <clears throat> so don't, don't worry about if God is calling you to speak to somebody and they're, maybe they're, I don't know, maybe they go to a church every week. Who knows? You speak the word of God when God opens that door. All right, and let God, and you obey God and let him figure it out. And so, yeah, so, so he, he calls him over there. He speaks to Cornelius. And what ends up happening that is the real uh, trigger for Peter that blew him away, that said, wow, this is, this is true. The Gentiles are hearing the word of God. What happened to Cornelius? Does anybody remember? Yes, the Holy Spirit fell upon him. Did Peter, what was Peter's uh, key to doing that? Did he, did he, he had his hands lifted up, right? Gold dust, no? Uh, Peter was still speaking these words. Yeah, just imagine I'm talking to you right now and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just falls down upon him. Now this is not a pattern, as you know, the only pattern is that God does what God wants to do when God wants to do it. So when God wants to put the Holy Spirit upon somebody, God does it. Man can't dictate when that happens. Now, again, I'm not talking about the, the indwelling of the Spirit when we believe. Okay, we, we're promised that when we believe, we have the indwelling of the Spirit. But the pattern that we see throughout the book of Acts is that there's an additional power that comes upon people according to God's um, timing to equip them <clears throat> for, for, for service and especially to communicate the gospel. Yes? So how do you think that was noticeable? That's a really good question. But because in, for the, when yeah. the Spirit found the disciples, they saw the tongues of fire. Yeah. Could it be what they were speaking? Or like, I, I never thought about, like, how do they know that the Holy Spirit fell upon them? Well, I think what happened was, was that, <clears throat> remember when we, when we traced this back, right? Remember when we went through Acts chapter 2 to, to 7 and we saw all the different times that the Holy Spirit came upon people, mm-hmm. right? The one thing that we, the one common denominator that was there is that people knew that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember Stephen? What happened to Stephen? Did he speak with tongues? No. What, what happened to Stephen to make people know he was filled with the Spirit? Does anybody remember? As he was talking to the Jewish people? Okay, that was a little later, a little before that. He had a face like an angel. His face shone like an angel. What happened when the Holy Spirit fell upon Pen- on Pentecost? The tongues, of tongues of fire and? A rushing wind and? The what is? They spoke different languages. One other thing happened. The walls started to tremble. Okay. Yeah. What's that? Yeah, start dancing. They started dancing. That's dancing in the spirit. Yes, some do that too. No, no, we, we never saw that. Don't get any ideas. 
because Chris will snag you right out of the service and buy. <laughs> we'll have the feds here in a minute. No, I'm just kidding. So, um, so yeah, there's always something visible about it. There's always something visible. So when you look here, um, as Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon those that, that, that were listening. And here we see that they began, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues. But to me, that's not that the, the, to me, again, that's secondary. That's not, it shouldn't be our goal to do that. Our goal should be the next thing. They were exalting God. And the only way somebody could say Jesus is Christ is by the Holy Spirit. So we know that the Spirit was working in these people. And then surely no one can refuse water. They baptized them and um, they stayed with Peter for a while. So this is the context of chapter 11. So Peter goes to Jerusalem because Peter, people are calling him out. This is, this is no small thing to be a Jewish person, to be eating with Gentiles. Again, that's what the culture was like back then. It was a tremendous thing to eat with somebody. Does anybody remember the illustration that we used on that? Why, why was eating together so important? Breaking of bread. Breaking of bread. What does that symbolize? Yeah. That bread that's going into your body is going into my body. Symbolically, we're becoming one. What does the Bible say about becoming one? The Bible says that don't be yoked with unbelievers. That's a principle throughout the Old Testament as well, too. But in the spiritual realm, in the, I I'm sorry, in the New Testament, from a spiritual perspective, that yoking is, um, has to do with um, spiritual, being spiritually yoked with that person. So they're looking at this going, we can't be yoked with people that are Gentiles. And Peter's saying, no, this is a spiritual yoking here now because they believe in Jesus Christ. They have the Holy Spirit. And so if you look through chapter 11, basically it is uh, a reiteration of what happened. It's Peter explaining to the Jews in Jerusalem. He went to headquarters and he's saying, this is why I did it. It wasn't me. Uh, this isn't my idea. Now we know Peter struggled with this as well because we, we re- if you read the book of Galatians, it's all about this very topic, okay? So a lot of times we look at the book of Galatians from, um, from a, from a, you know, from a, top of a skyscraper and we look down at it and we say justification by faith. And it does mean about justification by faith, but what Peter, what Paul uses in the book of Galatians <clears throat> to explain justification by faith is that the identity mark, the identity marker, which shows one is justified and part of the people of God is no longer the law, it's faith. And he uses this as an illustration, the table fellowship that they were having. So if you really had to summarize the book of Galatians, if someone asked me, I'd say it's about table fellowship, eating with Gentiles and Jews eating together. Because Peter, he would eat with the Gentiles and then the the big shots would come from Jerusalem and he would move away to the other table. And Paul called him out on that 
And that's what the whole book is about. Don't be yoked again to that bondage and to that yoke of slavery. That's what he tells the Galatians in five, chapter five. <clears throat> so, yeah, so, so we have a whole reiteration of it. And then we, if you go down to verse 16, he says, with Jesus, uh, if, you're, if you have a red letter Bible, you'll see John baptized with water, but Jesus said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so Peter remembered that. <clears throat> Therefore, if God gave them the same gift he gave us <clears throat> after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Now, when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God saying, well, then God has granted to the Gentiles also repentance that leads to life. Now, we gotta be careful here because, you know, a lot of times we look back to historical narratives such as the book of Acts and we try to, we, we, we read into that book all the theology that we know about from studying the whole, all the scriptures and all of the wonderful commentaries and all the wonderful book upon books upon books that explain the scriptures. But you have to remember, these people didn't have any of that. They didn't have all their theology worked out in, in the, that early first century, they, no, by no means. So it's very important that when you read the book of Acts, look at all the other epistles as almost a commentary or an explanation of what's going on or further explanation of what's going on. So if we want to learn about the theology of the Holy Spirit, we want to look at the whole of Scripture and primarily the places in Scripture that talk about the theology of the Holy Spirit, right? If, you have a, if your car breaks down and your tire is flat, you can look through your user manual and find tires all over the place, but you would want to go to the troubleshooting spot and find out how to change a tire. You wouldn't look at front wheel alignment that might also mention tire. No, you can maybe find some information there, but if you use that to try to fix your flat tire, you're going to be led astray or you're going to have a lot of missing information. So now we, should, we change gears and now we're going to talk about... Um, the church of Antioch. Now, if you go back in your Bible to Acts chapter 7, I'm sorry, 8, 8. Does anybody want to read verses, just read verse 1. It's a long one, but... Uh, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Okay. Very good. And then we hear about Saul. Oh, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. Yes. I, I, and so we hear about Saul. And then right. <laughs> you could almost go right from that and you could jump to Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Go ahead, Rebecca. Did you, was that you, Rebecca, that just read that? Do you, you have your Bible open to eleven nineteen? Read Read that now. Eleven nineteen. Or whoever has it open. I have it. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, Stephen, I don't remember, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Phoenicia, Cyprus, yep. and Antioch, 
telling the message only to Jews. Okay, good. So you see, we, we, we are still seeing the repercussions of the persecution and the killing of Stephen, right? Because that, in our world, if something like that happened, it would be, it, it was like, it's like, imagine, you know, imagine like starting a movement or starting a business and you lose everything in one day. Everyone's like, what do we do now? But what was unique about that, that, that persecution that happened? The uniqueness was, what, John? What was that unique thing? After the persecution, what happened to the church? I know, it's, it's, I don't really give really good clues. Um, it's my fault. It scattered and it grew, right? The church grew out of persecution. The church grew out of persecution. Now we're, we're going to talk about this today at, at, at the main sermon a lot. But if you see the model of this, the model that Jesus has given us is growth and victory through suffering. And that stays throughout the whole entire book of Acts. Now, I'm not going to give away the sermon too much because then I won't have nothing to say later. (laughs) But this doesn't mean we go out and purposely look for that persecution. Because you you, you think that um, that's funny, but that's, in fact, there's a whole theological movement that does that. Yeah especially in some of the, uh, in, in Mexico, I think maybe, is that what they, where they carry the cross and they nail themselves to a cross? And, yeah. and I don't know what's that, what's that, it's called something, the procession of something. Um, well, the, the, it's just a representation of Easter day that somebody does a sacrifice. Yeah. And it's it happens in, in, in all over yeah. the world. They actually nail them. themselves. Yeah. Ah. yeah. They do it as, it's like a promise to God. Yep. Uh, He's gonna do something amazing for them. Right. Doing this, but thousands of people they they, they re- reenact the, the crucifixion yeah. with nailing. Yeah. It's people prepare for yeah. like it's a privilege for them to do this, but it's all works. It's works. Yeah. That's that's what I, w- I wanted to say. Something when you ask the yeah. question about why did the Lord talk to Corn- talk to Peter or talk to Cornelius to go find Peter to bring him instead of giving him the message, and I was thinking. But because the Lord is not only working, only working with Cornelius, mm. He was also opening this way for the Gentiles through Peter. Yeah. Right. And 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 I'm sure. I mean, we only sweet about them, but He's always doing all these things. And coming from a traditional church where tradition is higher than God, really than God yeah. in the Catholic Church. That's right. I mean, that was so important mm-hmm. that everybody would understand this is the Lord's doing yes I pray so much for my relatives in this time of year you should see there's all this walking in the streets with the virgin mary whose worship during christmas is mary mm-hmm. because she was a virgin yeah it's just it's it's so sad yes it's, it's really sad and and i have and then like i say verses and they're like yeah and mary and, yeah you know but it's always so always go to the idolatrous yes and it's really hard to get rid of that uh way of living Mm-hmm. So I think that's why it was so important that the Lord will show the Jewish this is not what I want. And, and, I just, mm. and, I, and it gives me hope that only the Lord can open their eyes. Yeah. So they can, I mean, my relatives were sending pictures of them carrying the images in the street and they're like, we're so close to God because of this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my heart sinks. 
Yeah. It's, know, it's, it's a real thing. It's, a, it's adultery. It's a real thing. I it, think in yeah. Mexico. Oh, I yeah. in other countries too. But. Oh, absolutely. The, it's so out. It's very outright and obvious there. And it's yeah. rampant in, in every, every country, but it comes in all different shapes yeah. and sizes. Yeah. So idolatry, ultimately, thank you, Elvira. That was, that was right on. It, but idolatry is, it's not necessarily shaping a stone or a worshiper. It's making a God in your own image. And so we all do that. We all do that. We're, that's when we sin, we're making gods in our own image. We're, we're taking that little, whatever it is, maybe it's a thought or, or something that we worship or that we really, we don't realize it because we, we, it's, a, it's a deceptive, idolatry is deceptive because it takes away your authority. You give that authority that's really supposed to be given to you in the power of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. but you're giving it over to that idol mm-hmm. and you're giving that, um, you know, the power over to that idol. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, yeah, so it's God definitely making his mark, saying, this is me, <laughs> nobody else. Um, yeah, so, so <clears throat> Stephen's, Persecution is still being impact, is impacting the spread of the gospel. And so if you guys remember this map right here, mm, look at that. Ah. I think yours is better. You like this? See this map? Okay, so I'll try my best here. So <clears throat> this is uh, Phoenicia here. All right, so Jerusalem is right down here. So after the church gets scattered, they go up here. They go over here to Cyprus. I know not everybody can see that. And then they also go up here to Antioch. And there's two Antiochs. There's Antioch of Syria, and then there's Antioch in Pisidia over here, which we're going to learn more about on Paul's missionary journey, first missionary journey. But basically, the church gets scattered up here, and they go up, uh, they go north uh, and they also go west. So <clears throat> the um, what's unique about this here again, we're still staying in the same line of thought. <clears throat> they went and they spoke the word to no one except the Jews alone. Again, these are just these they don't have all their theology worked out. OK, Jesus said, go out into all the world and preach the gospel. All right. Yeah. I mean, of course, couldn't be anyone else but the Jews because those are the people of God. <clears throat> and then we learn that Paul obviously will flash forward. Paul says not um, everyone from Israel is of Israel. So not everyone that is Israel is not considered a, a nationality it's considered the people of true people of God. And so just to <clears throat> give some context there. So they came to Antioch. They began speaking to the, um, oh, sorry. So verse 20. But then there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So again, God's working with other people too. We don't, we don't even know who these people are. But God's, you know, Luke is showing us that there's a lot of stuff happening here. The gospel is moving. It's going out into all the world. <clears throat> Here's an interesting phrase that I thought was uh, relevant to this, uh, that Luke put this in here. He drops a little theology every once in a while, right? So 
He says here, the hand of the Lord was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Doesn't that seem a little odd to say that? A large number who believed turned to the Lord. What does that tell us? Who wants to, what does that translate for you? A large number who believed turned to the Lord. Remember Jesus, he turned around to those disciples that were following him and said, if anyone wants to come follow me, he's got to deny himself, pick up his cross. He's got to lose his life to find it. And some, when they heard that, they took off. They left. Does it make sense? Not to me. Believing that you believe is not believing. Believing that you believe in Jesus is not believing. Why? What's missing? Believing that you, yeah, I believe that I believe in Jesus. I believe that I believe in Jesus. You're not even as high up as the, in your belief as the, as the demons at that point, because the demons believe in Jesus. They, 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 believe, they don't yep. believe that they believe in him. They believe no, in they him. know, right. See, they know. They know. It's mm. God doing the work in the heart and yeah. drawing them. It's going back to what we're learning in John, right? It's God draws them. That's right. So it's it's the, the those that decided to go to the Hellenists doing the communicating, but the Lord then doing the work in the heart. I think that's what Luke is showing, that it's yeah. his work in them so that those who believed turned, those who truly believed turned to him, versus those who sort of had a head knowledge Mm. of that. Yes, and that's my biggest fear, is head knowledge, Mm -hmm. because I I love head knowledge, you know, I love head knowledge, I love learning things, right, and all of us like to learn new things, whether we're readers or listeners or we watch TV, we like to watch documentaries, we love to get the knowledge Right, But Jesus says that this is eternal life, that you know the one that, whom God has sent. You know Jesus. We don't just know about Jesus, but, but we've had a, an encounter with Jesus. Jesus has encountered us like Saul. He encountered Saul. All right? So believing, there's a believing, and then there's a turning to the Lord. Yes. Don't be negate. Don't mess me up, Izzy. All right. Don't be like Rebecca and calling me out on all my mistakes. You tell me afterwards. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead, Gordon. Yeah. Go ahead, sweet. I'm sorry. I'm just joking. In parentheses, the power of presence of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord, and then in brackets for salvation, accepting and drawing near to Jesus as Messiah and Savior. Amen. So like a deeper actual belief and giving their life to to Jesus over like mm. basic believing what they're saying is true. Because I, I guess a lot of people have an attitude of like, especially now, like, yeah, that could be true, but then that's it about a lot of different things. So, 
you can believe that something could be true or even is probably true, and that doesn't mean you have like a, any sort of faith. Right. It's, it's like the thing that Sai explained with going back and forth with people about evidence. Yeah. Remember he explained with his buddy who has a photographic memory? Yes. He was, talking, he was arguing with this girl for, he said, six hours about whether Jesus Christ died on the cross. And by the end, he got her to say, yeah, Jesus Christ died on the cross. But then she turned around and said, I don't believe he's God. And walked away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't really get anywhere. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the phrase very well that was said in the movie, but he said that through suffering, we will know. Um, in the movie that we watched. Like, yeah, Torture Christ, for Christ, yeah. And I want to go back and play it because he said, in, in suffering and in, 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 in persecution, you will know that you believe in the Son of God. Or that you, I think it was that you believe, that you believe, that you sincerely believe yeah. that you believe. Uh, something like that. And yeah. so, I mean, that is, that is the reality. And in, 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 in the trials of life, where do you go to? How do you go through it? Yeah. I think that's when you know, is my life truly affected by Jesus' words, my choices? I stopped doing this because Jesus says. Or I, I yeah. don't, I, I would do this sacrificially because Jesus says. I think those are the... You know, mm-hmm. when you know that you're actually following Christ yeah. instead of just knowing about him. That's right. The suffering to me is, uh, in my, this is just personal experience, but I think it lines up with it. When we get into the point of suffering and pain, it's not like we say to ourselves, well, well now I really must believe in Jesus because <laughs> I'm still believing in him, even though I'm suffering and I'm having all this pain, well, I must really believe. It's not that. It's when we enter in to the suffering and pain, Christ moves in with us so close and tight, it's almost he becomes undeniable at that point. And that's what makes us love him, makes me want to love him even more. It's like, wow, you're with me in this pain. You're with me in this suffering. You're with me in my sin. You're with me in this darkness right here, Lord. And he's like, yeah, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so we know him. We know that we know. Um, so amen. So the, the, he, but the one thing I want to add, does anybody else have anything? I don't want to jump too quick on that. No. Can I get an amen? amen. All right, good. <laughs> um, so there was a large number who believed and turned. So I think too, another aspect of this is that in order to believe, we do have to turn to the Lord. It's, um, and it's usually, um, in a turning We think of it in a sense of repentance, turning away from something. And um, I sent you and and Kevin that video with Paul Washer, which really I thought was cool. It's a short video. Um, But he said that when we turn, when we, when we confess our sin in turn, it's a, uh, and he, he broke it out in the Greek saying that it's an agreeing with agreement with God in the fact that Whatever it is that you're turning from, right? Yes, Lord, I agree with you that that is sin. I agree with you that that is against your word. I agree with you. I am confessing this. And then we turn and then the power of God, like turn, like it says it in one of the Psalms, Lord, please t- uh, turn me and I will be turned, right? It's the Lord who grants repentance unto us too. So, but it's that turning that we have to do. And it's a constant thing. It's a constant turning to the Lord. As Martin Luther said, 
uh, when he was, somebody was saying about repentance, what is it? How many times you have to, is it one time? Is it two times? Or he goes, the Christian life is a perpetual state of repentance. And it really is a mindset. And that's the humility that, that God gives us when we could say, yeah, you know, I, I am, I am not as good as I think I am. I am, I am, it's okay to admit your sin and move on with it, trusting the Lord that he's given you the forgiveness and that he is going to enable you to continue to turn. And so I just think that that was a good application. I'm glad that, um, I should say a good thing that Luke put in here because it's, it's not always phrased that way. And uh, so a believing and a turning. So we have a couple more minutes. I don't know if we're gonna get to Barney, but um, Barney's coming up. And so the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. So um, Barnabas was from Cyprus. So Barnabas was probably chosen to go because these were the people that were preaching to the Greeks. And Barnabas is just one of those guys that, you know, everybody, every time you see him in the scriptures, He's just, a, seems like he was a really likable guy. He's one of those guys that I would want to be around because he is constantly doing what to people? What is he, What was his gift that they say Barnabas had? Does anybody know? What was it? Encouragement. encouragement, right? And encouragement is so incredibly important to have people that you know that are going to give you encouragement. They're not going to give you like, uh, they're not going to try to flatter you. They're not going to try to just make you feel good. But they're truly going to encourage you in the Lord to keep going, to, to, to do it is what God has called you to do. They're also going to encourage you sometimes in a way that may not feel so good. You know, maybe they're encouraging you to, 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 change, to change paths. Um, but when he arrived in 23, he witnessed the grace of God and he rejoiced and he began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. See, that's what I mean, that resolute heart. It's, um, it's almost like saying, I want to encourage Jonathan, but I want to do more than that. I have an intense, intentful purpose behind this. It's not to make Jonathan like me or, or make him think that I'm a good pastor or anything like that but it's to help him and help you to remain true to the Lord. And I think that Luke is showing us here that this is part of the early church's um, gold in the early church, having encouragers, being an encouragement to people. And it's so hard because we all are so burdened with life's problems. We're all, especially now during Christmas and and expectations and financial problems. Sometimes it's, um, uh, you know, just stress or sometimes it's just depression or ups and downs or whatever. And what do we do is we, we, we run and hide. We don't want anyone to know. We cover ourselves up. We put on the fine face. Everything's fine. I'm fine. You're fine. How's it going? Fine. Right. But all of us here should have somebody that we can go to to get that encouragement when we need it. 
but everyone here should be and and look for those opportunities to encourage others. And you know when to do that. You gotta find. You gotta have your pulse, your hand on the pulse of the body, right? In order to know where the heartbeat, to find the heartbeat, know how fast it's beating, know how slow it's beating, and and that's what we need to do with each other. And that's one thing that I have to say that this church is so extremely encouraging um, from, you know, from the minute that I've ever experienced it here till even today. It's always a time of, it's, I always know that I'm going to leave here um, to be, I'm going to be encouraged by somebody or I'm going to uh, have an opportunity to encourage others. Barnabas was a, was a good man. Again, he was a good man. And the Bible also says what? There is none good, no, not one. <laughs> but what he means is he was a good guy. I mean, he, he was one of those guys, right? Like we say in Jersey, he's a good guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, somebody says you're a good guy in Jersey, you know, you know what he's talking about. You go out to Colorado or somewhere or to Gordon and say he's a good guy. You know, what do you mean good? Like, what is he a good guy? No, he's a good guy. He's, you know, he's a good guy. Um. And so he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. And what was the result? Considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Considerable numbers. Barnabas didn't go and show them all the things they were doing wrong and tell them and question their sal- everybody's salvation and saying, you're doing this and you're doing that. God will take care of that. Yes, we, we need to address sin in brothers and sisters in, in a godly way, but... You know, this is the type of guy that we, men and women, we need to, we need to look for or look to be like, in my opinion. Anyone want to comment on that before we close? <clears throat> Let's just finish up the chapter. We'll jump to 12 next week. So he, after, after this, considerable numbers were brought. In verse 25, he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And I, I could imagine they made a great team because personality-wise, from what I could tell, they were, they were different, yet they had that common denominator of Christ. And uh, he found him and he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciple, disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So this is like, this is like a, a blueprint for the church, right? Encourage people, teach. The hand of the Lord will do the rest. Obviously, we've read it. We've read, obviously, in the beginning of Acts in chapter two, it's prayer, it's fellowship, it's teaching. And under that, it's encouragement, it's discipleship, it's consistency. For an entire year they met, an entire year, it wasn't, you know, just here and there. They were, this was a, a, a deliberate focus. <clears throat> now, at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up to begin to indicate by the spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius and in the proportion and in, pro- in the proportion that any of the disciples have means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. 
And so basically this guy, God sends a prophet down and says, look, there's going to be a lot, there's going to be a famine. You need to kick it up a little bit, (laughs) send some money to Jerusalem so that we can continue to fund these different churches and we can continue to take care of the disciples that are there. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul and the elders. So next week, we'll, we'll, we're going to jump back to Peter, um, and we'll, we'll see um, some more persecution uh, in the church, but also some more victory. Any questions before we close? No? Where's Hubert? I thought that wasn't going to happen, so he's with the plumber. Oh, okay. All right. All right, well, Chris, do you want to close us in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word, Lord. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your salvation, Lord. We thank you for the examples and challenges we can see uh, from the book of Acts. And we thank you that you provide uh, the ability in any way to do good for your name's sake, Lord. We pray that we would just be challenged to seek out ways to serve you, uh, to encourage each other, and to show your love to, to others, especially at this time of year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.